Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Hey, good morning. I'm Darren. We're in a series called Real Jesus, and we are looking at the life, message, and mission of Jesus and asking the question, how or does he shape our life today? We're trying to define who Jesus really was in the scriptures and learn how to live our lives based on that. So if you're new with us, we're jumping in uh, kind of partway in the beginning of a series, but if you're, uh, if you're just here for the first time, don't worry. This is part two of a, sec- of a three-part sermon, so you got some catching up to do, but I'll try to summarize. But I was thinking about why we're doing this sermon uh, or why we're doing this series, and personally, uh, I'm doing it because I was worshiping this morning and, and I realized that so much of my personal experience has been um, rediscovering who Jesus really was and is. Um, I grew up in the church, and the picture of Jesus I was given was not the picture of Jesus I've discovered later on in life. 
And um, I realized, you know, I grew up in a very, a more conservative background as far as Christianity goes, or at least that was my assumption, that was my perspective that I developed, that in order for me to be loved, I needed to perform for Jesus. In order for me to be good in the kingdom, I had to do all this activity, and, and it seems like God was always upset and disappointed with me, so I had to offer him more and more stuff and time and energy and life. And then um, I, I eventually kind of left the faith, uh, when I went to college and I went to UCSB and I, I converted Christians to leave their faith, um, which was just horrible. It bro- I mean, I, and then I discovered Jesus again. I came back to the faith. I went to Vanguard University and started going to Rock Harbor, the church that I became on staff and eventually planted the garden out of. And it was there that I met the real Jesus. Um, and he's, he's so much better than the, the Jesus I knew when I was growing up. And more than anything, more than anything else that you're going to get. We're going to talk about some heavy theology, some fascinating PowerPoints, who knows, um, today. <laughs> but all I want you to do is really meet Jesus. He's living, he's alive, and he wants a relationship with you. And this whole series is about that. That's it. Cool? Yeah. So now you know the secret agenda. Meet Jesus. <laughs> hey, so uh, let's just jump in. We're, we're, last week we started a, a section of our series where we're, we're wanting to define the message of Jesus. We want to know what was his message and, 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 and what, what does that mean for us today? Um, and we think, you know, you read in the scriptures that Jesus comes to Galilee and he proclaims the gospel. And the word gospel means good news in Greek. And, and for many of us, if we grew up in the Christian church, we know uh, that what the gospel is, or at least we have some type of vague idea about the gospel. And, and there's all types of perspectives about the gospel. For some of us, the gospel is just a prayer we pray or a, a set of beliefs that we, we believe so that we can escape this doom that's coming and go to heaven someplace when we die, right? That, that's kind of, there, there's a, like a prayer that we pray and then we go to this other place. That's the, we gotta believe the gospel. Some of us, the gospel is a genre of music, right? A really fun, upbeat genre, by the way, which I love. Um, for, for, for some of us, the gospel in Christian circles, and I'm, I'm narrowing it down, um, it, it's like this... Uh, bigger truth of some sort like it's like you can attach like gospel groups to something and for some reason it's going to have more impact than community groups or gospel centered churches and it has some type of definition around what those churches are saying when they say the word gospel some people have heard gospel as a bunch of advice if you if you follow the gospel advice, you'll have a better marriage, a better life, and you'll eventually go to heaven if you follow these rules. Now, so uh, those are all kind of perspectives out there about the gospel, but the question I have is what did Jesus mean when he said gospel? What was his message when he said good news? What was he announcing? So that's what we're trying to answer over the next couple of weeks. So last week we started uh, with Mark chapter one. We're gonna pick up there. So if you have a Bible, go to Mark chapter one. Verse 14, if you don't have a Bible, you can get one on your iPhone or any, your Android, or you can look up on our screen. If you like your own Bible, we have Bibles in the front, also at the welcome table. Feel free to take one home if you want that. Mark chapter one, verse 14 says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. So Jesus' message in Mark's gospel, this is one sentence, verse 15, is the defining message of Jesus Christ. This is his message. Everything else he talks about is, is kind of summarized in Mark's gospel in one verse. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come, uh, is at hand, excuse me. 
repent and believe the good news. Last week we talked about what Jesus meant when he said the time has come. Do you remember what I was referring to? Anyone listening last week? Nope. Anyone want to take a shot? I won't, I won't shame you in public. Too bad. Anyone? Age to come. Do you remember that? Okay, so that was, I really did say I was going to preach it for myself, so I really did last week preach it for myself. So last week, we talked about what Jesus was referring to when he says the time has come was this Old Testament promise that was found all throughout the Old Testament scriptures um, about what God would do eventually, once and for all. That at some point in human history, God would come back and restore Israel to its former glory that this was known as the age to come. And the age to come would uh, usher in a new era marked by healing and shalom, which is this Hebrew concept for peace. By the resurrection of the dead, there'd be no sin. There'd be justice all over the earth. There'd be new hearts. People would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, There'd be a new covenant and Israel would be restored to its former glory. This is what is all over the Old Testament. Last week, we went through um, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, Joel, Daniel, Daniel, we, we talked about all sorts of passages that were pointing to what God would do eventually once and for all. And built into, I'm just summarizing, into the story of Israel, which is the Old Testament basically, was this idea um, that Israel was God's chosen people. That they were designed, all of humanity was designed to live in perfect relationship with God and all, all of creation. That that went south with sin, but God did not leave us Um, to our own demise. He entered back into the story, chose a people to represent him on earth. Those are the Israelites. If they obeyed his covenant, eventually uh, they they get their own land. They were enslaved and they got freed and they get their own land and they're freed um, and they forget to follow God's covenant and ways and laws. God sends them um, into exile and it's in exile that we have the Old Testament prophets that talk about God sending a Messiah that would one day usher in what is called the age to come. That was last week's message in a nutshell. So part one of Jesus's message is that he is the fulfillment of everything that was promised in the Old Testament. So Jesus comes as the climax of what they were waiting for. Their story is waiting for God to do what he had promised to do. And then the Old Testament ends. He doesn't come and do what he said he would do. There's 400 years of silence, 400 years of prayer, 400 years of hope, nothing from God. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and says, the time has come. It's happening. Everything that you see in the Old Testament, it's in your midst. Are you with me? All right. So today, we're going to talk about the second part of his message, the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. And what's important about this phrase is that Jesus talks about the kingdom more than anything else in all the scriptures. His parables talk about it. His teachings talk about it. He demonstrates it. He proclaims it. When he dies and is raised from the dead and commissions his church, the first thing the disciples do is proclaim the kingdom in the book of Acts. At the end of Acts, Paul is in Rome. And what does it say he's doing with Caesar's household? He is proclaiming the kingdom of God. So as Christians, we should know the message of Jesus Christ, shouldn't we? What is the kingdom of God? And what did Jesus mean when he said the kingdom of God has come near? What did he mean? That's the question I want to answer this morning. And to answer this question, I just want to first answer it by asking another question. What did a first century Jew think Jesus meant 
when he said the kingdom of God has come near. Because remember, to understand the gospel, we have to understand it in its proper context, in its larger story. It's like you don't hang, um, you don't hang a picture in your house without the frame, right? I've been hanging stuff all week. And you definitely need a frame, okay? So the frame is the context which this story lies and the message of Jesus is found. Are you with me? So what would a first century Jew hear when Jesus starts saying this word, the kingdom? So the Jews of Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, they were living uh, under foreign rule for several centuries. The worst thing about this was not that they had foreign taxation. It wasn't the fact that they had uh, foreign laws or brutal oppression and so on. The worst thing about being ruled by foreigners was that they were pagans and they worshiped pagan gods. And for Israel, they were God's chosen people. The creator of the universe said, no, you're my people. You're my squad is what I said at the second service. You're my squad. Some of you like it. That's cool. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And, and, and so if, if the creator of the universe chose a people, yet they're being ruled by pagan people, what does that mean for the chosen people? They're waiting for liberation. So what, what the, the Israelites were, they were called to be true God's true humanity, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And they were anticipating God to come back and restore their kingdom like they had when David was king. So a first century Jew was waiting for a literal liberation of their enemies, from their enemies, excuse me. So in Jesus' time, their enemies were Rome. Rome was ruling modern-day Palestine at the time, and they were waiting for God to come and defeat the enemies of Rome, or their enemy Rome, and establish Israel with a proper, literal, political, physical kingdom, an empire, if you will. That's what they were anticipating. They were waiting for, they, uh, when a first century Jew heard kingdom of God, they weren't thinking about a secure place that they'll go when they die. When you hear the phrase in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven, or in uh, Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, the kingdom of God, it's not referring to another place that you go after you die. Jesus, uh, it refers to the rule of heaven, of uh, the rule of God being brought about in this present earth, time, and space. It's God's rule being brought to this physical earth, time, and space. Jesus prays, thy kingdom come, thy will be done um, on earth as it is in heaven. It, he's referring to God bringing justice and peace to this world here and now. And for most of us, um, or excuse me, most of the people living in the first century, they weren't expecting uh, what Jesus brought. They were expecting a literal kingdom being established on earth against all the other kingdoms. And I want to prove this to you. So go to Acts chapter 1. Because we have to get into their mindset in order to see what Jesus is going to do. We kind of can make sense of it now, but this was so controversial and unexpected, Jesus' message. But Acts chapter 1, verse 6, or actually start in verse 4. Uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead at this point. He's with his disciples, and it says this in verse 4. On one occasion... While he was eating, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my, fa my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is amazing teaching. Jesus is telling his disciples, you are gonna be filled with the presence of God. How awesome is that? 
But their very next question, the followers of Jesus that lived with him for three and a half years, day and night, their next question is just proving that they completely missed what Jesus was doing. He says, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? What are they asking? Are you going to defeat Rome? Are you going to establish a literal kingdom of physical government now that we can be like all the other nations? And his response is amazing. It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, don't worry about that. Go and be my witnesses. And so what we see is that in the mindset of a first century Jew, when Jesus says the phrase kingdom of God, their expectations are loaded. But what Jesus does is something different. You with me? Okay, so I'm just, that's the first century mindset. So they wanted a secure, established kingdom. Uh, And let me just make one more point because I just love giving you the frame and the context. And again, this is for me. So when Jesus um, went about talking about the kingdom, it was loaded with all different types of perspectives. In fact, there were five major perspectives of Jesus's day that you will see him confront in the gospels. Now stick with me. This is all going to make sense, but you'll see these were the five different types of uh, perspectives of the kingdom of God. Um, The first perspective was came from an intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament from a a writing called the Psalms of Solomon. And they believed that God's Messiah would, would defeat the enemies of Israel in a great eschatological eschatological battle, basically an end times battle. That's how the age to come would be ushered and God's kingdom would be established. There's another group called the Zealots. Have you heard of the Zealots? So you see Jesus actually had a disciple who was a Zealot. What's a Zealot? A Zealot had a very unique perspective. They believed that God's kingdom and age to come would be established by a holy war. So their technique was to say their prayers and sharpen their swords. They had stockpiles of weapons and you saw them throughout history going to defeat the enemies of Israel. They, they, def, they went after the Persians. They went after the Greeks. They went after all sorts of uh, various people. They went after Rome at times throughout history where they would try to cause a war that would inspire the age to come and God to act in human history. That's called the holy warfare. That's one view. The other perspective was holy withdrawal. The Essenes, this is a group of, of, of religious people during Jesus' day, believed that in order for God to, to do what he was going to do, he was going to do it on his own time. So to be a true Israel, Israelite was to leave all of culture and society and group into these monastic tribes away from everyone else and just separate yourself from the world and God's going to do what he's going to do. The opposite of that were the, the Sadducees. So Jesus, have you heard of the Sadducees in the scriptures? They co- compromised their faith and they just, they went along with the political power. So they compromised their, their religious views. They made lots of money with Rome. They conspired with Rome and Herod. And so they, they believe that, hey, it doesn't really matter. God's not really gonna do his thing. So let's just live life and be merry. And then the other view, which is the most popular view, were the Pharisees. And you see all throughout the scriptures, Jesus confronts their paradigm about the age to come and the kingdom of God. The Pharisees believe this, that the age to come would be ushered in if all the Israelites lived a perfectly moral life by following the Torah and all of the laws they added on top of that with their dietary customs, their Sabbath laws, and piety rituals. In other words, if they followed the 2,000 plus laws, if all the Jews in one day followed all the laws and didn't commit one sin, 
The age to come would be sparked and a new era would usher in. Those were the five various views. Are you with me? Okay, so I know that's a lot and hopefully you enjoy it. But anyway, so these are all the common views um, that they were waiting for God to act decisively in order for him to do what he promised he would do. But Jesus didn't teach any of those ways. That's not what he meant when he talked about the kingdom of God. They were expecting something else and Jesus brought them something else. Here's a, a, a great slide to help illustrate what last week was about and what I'm trying to get at right now. The first one is this is their perspective. So all of the perspectives of the modern day or the ancient Jewish community was this, that there were two ages. There are two types of ages. The first was called the pre- this present age. The, the time where, that was marked by sin and death and subjection, um, uh, we were enslaved. It's marked by Satan, rebellion, fear, anxiety, sickness. And the world was in chaos. And in the Old Testament, they promised that on the day of the Lord, God would come and usher this new age, which is known as the age to come. And this age we've talked about last week would be marked by heat, peace and glory, the knowledge of the Lord, new covenant, resurrection, the Holy Spirit. Wholeness, shalom, Israel restored. This was their paradigm. This is their worldview. That's not what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did. So, Jesus comes onto the scene. Slide number two. We have a second slide, right? Otherwise, this is going to be. There's no second slide? Seth, is that true? I sent you the second slide. What? Um. You know, I don't always make slides, but when I do, <laughs> stay thirsty, my friends. Okay, um, well, that really, really bums me out. I have it on my computer. We need to pull it up and try to figure out how to get it to you. Um, but let me explain it. So what Jesus does is this. Jesus brings the age to come in this present age that's marked by sin and death and rebellion and brings all of the age to come that's with it, the the healing, the resurrection, peace, justice, wholeness. And we live now in this in-between era where where we have Jesus' first coming and we're waiting for his second coming. When his second coming is established, there will be no injustice, there will be no pain, there will be no sickness, there will be no death, there will be no sin. But we live in this present age with access to all that was promised in the age to come, which is the kingdom, all that God promised of healing and justice, peace, shalom, forgiveness of sins, righteousness. Now, I'm just trying to embody the slide somehow. (laughs) And so... What we can say then is this. He brings this life and it's available for everyone everywhere, but it's not fully established. Would you agree with me? Are people sick and dying of hunger? Yes. Are people sold into slavery? Are there, is, are there wars in the world? Is there injustice? Yes, absolutely. So we live in a time where Jesus ushers in the age to come into this present reality, bringing all of the kingdom resources at our fingertips, yet we're still waiting for it to come fully. So we live in the now and not yet reality. The kingdom of God has come and is coming reality. So if you're here and you come forward and get prayer for a serious thing and you're not healed, that's why. Because Jesus has come and his kingdom has come and it's coming. We're going to, in a couple of weeks, so this is part two, there's a third part, which is in two weeks, where we talk about how we get to participate in this reality. Why we pray. 
But that's where we live. And so we don't have the slide, and I apologize for that. We'll get that for the second service. We love them more anyways. Just kidding. <laughs> just, just kidding. But you got my great dance moves up here. Um, okay, so that's what was meant by the age to come. Now, so nobody saw it coming. They were waiting for one new era to start, but Jesus just ushers in the, the new age into this present age. And the slide would have made it easier for you to understand. So what does Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of God? Let's go to that slide, okay, Christine? The kingdom of God is the sovereign rule of God. It's God's reign on earth. It's, the kingdom of God is what life would look like on earth if God was in charge. Think about that for a second. It's what life would look like on earth if he was in charge. This is why it's so important for us to know who Jesus really is. Because if we don't know who he really is, we don't know what kind of life he's offering to us. If you think he's angry, if you think he's disappointed, if you think that you have to perform, the type of life you will live is different than the one he's offering you. You with me? So uh, the kingdom of God is not some theological idea or a political concept or just a literal physical kingdom. It is a new way of existence. It's a new reality, if you will. The kingdom of God is the way God intended life to be in the first place. Everything restored back to its original proper place. Humanity and God in right relationship ourselves in right relationship with our own identities and self. We in right, uh, us in right relationship with each other all of humanity in right relationship with all of creation. This is what Jesus meant. He's offering us a new life. The kingdom of God is a life offered by God, marked by healing, wholeness, justice, peace, forgiveness, freedom, love, grace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound good? This is the good news. This is what Jesus meant by good news. In a life marked by death, by chaos, by anxiety, by pain and suffering, sickness marked by bondage to sin, by, this, by the devil, by, by Satan, by the ruler and enemy of God's way of life, Jesus says, no, 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 there's a new way of existing. It's available for where you are, as you are, and it's a different kind of existence where God has the authority and power in your life. He is in charge. Good news. So much better than now you've got a place to go when you die. It's now you get to live the same way when you die. Because that's what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom was ushered through Jesus, established by Jesus, and sustained through Jesus. This is the good news. Everything that God intended in the first place has come back to fruition, or as Jesus will say, the kingdom of God has come near, is at hand. You can reach out and grab it. It's right in your midst. The kingdom of God, in other words, is a reality to be experienced for yourselves. Jesus will go on teaching in the New Testament. We'll hear some of these parables. He'll share this great teaching, and he says, oh, it's for those that have ears to hear. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. What? Some of you are going to get it, and some of you aren't, in other words. Jesus went around teaching, hey, you know what? If this section gets it, great. You're probably not going to get it. You guys are going to get it. You don't need the slide. It's a slide. <laughs> All right. 
All right, do you see? Okay, let me just reiterate this. <laughs> Bottom. This is the new thing. The present age exists until Jesus' second coming. This present age. The first line is Jesus' first coming. Moving forward, we live now in the time between the first and the second coming. And the age to come, which was ushered in in Jesus' first coming, uh, began with Jesus' first coming and will be fully consummated at his second coming. So all that he promised will be fully experienced once and for all at his second coming. This is what I meant to show you. This is what Jesus did. This is what it means for Jesus to say the age to come has arrived. You with me? Okay, let's move on. So the next thing I want to share is that the kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. Uh, in other words, Jesus' teaching is you've got to experience this for yourself. You have to experience Jesus for himself. Then you get to experience the life he's offering you. I cannot convince you to experience the kingdom of God or Jesus' message. You have to taste and see that it's good. So much of our teaching is believe these right statements about a God rather than let me introduce you on a blind date to this living God who will transform everything you have. So I'm going to set you up, text you his number, you get in a relationship with him. <laughs> and he's, it's crazy because sometimes he's a lion and sometimes he's a lamb, but you know what? You don't know. <laughs> My wife's like, that sounds like my husband a little bit. Um, you're hot and cold, D. Um, have, you ever, have you ever experienced God? I just want to talk about the reality to be experienced for a second. I want to, what does it mean that he says, those that have ears to hear? Have you ever had an experience with God? At church, you got prayer or you were in the mountains and like God just revealed himself. You were surfing or you, you know, you and your wife experienced something and it was just like, whoa, God showed up. And then you try to tell someone and it's like, but then this thing, and then I was driving, and then the light came on, and then, and someone's just like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's what I mean. And when Jesus talks about this message, what does life look like with God in charge? The only way you're going to get it is if you experience it for yourself. I want to illustrate this point. So the kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. All right, I need, uh, I'm going to get three volunteers. Okay, so. Uh, let's see here. I've got some paper. Look how prepared I am. Um, I'm going to borrow some people right here, and I'll explain what we're going to do in just a second. All right. Can I have you take this? This is my cell phone, okay? So don't look at my pictures. Um, <laughs> I want you to put your head, these headphones on and push play, right? Right there. It's set up on purpose, okay? I don't want you to, don't look at it. What are you doing? <laughs> Who is this person? You don't even know. You don't know, but you're sitting next to her? You, you guys, okay, you do know each other, okay. Are you guys dating? No, okay. Okay, not yet. Do you want to date? Okay, sorry. I want you, <laughs> I want you to describe in your own words this song to your best ability, okay? Describe it. Don't let anyone see it. Push play and you can do that. Okay, um, let's have you, underneath this, this page is a picture I don't want you looking at it, Heather. And I want you to describe in your own words what you see in the picture to your best ability. Sound good? I'm going to come over there. Don't worry. I'm not forgetting this section. I favor the right this morning. Normally, I favor the left. All right, same thing. There's another picture here. Okay, it's a variation. Yeah, we're not going to do that. I want you to describe in—people aren't even looking at me. People—okay. 
I want you to describe in your own words what you see on this picture. Hopefully I, I remember the picture like I remember the second slide. All right, so in your own words, I'll give you some time to do that. So what does it mean for the kingdom of God to be a reality, to be experienced? Have you ever had those experiences where, where you just want to tell someone um, what, what's happened and, and it's just almost like pointless. It doesn't make sense. It, it, it doesn't cross the boundary. And that's what Jesus is after. He's after becoming a certain kind of person that exists in a different way. And you're either gonna get it or you're not. And this isn't insider language, this is an invitation. Part three of this sermon is, is repent and believe. And that doesn't just mean stop sinning. I'm gonna give you the hook. It means become a practitioner of this new way of existence. Become someone that ushers in this life for others. Become someone that practices the kingdom of God in your ordinary life where you now bring justice and peace and wholeness into the broken, fractured, hurting parts of the world. You're either gonna get it or you're not. This is what the real Jesus was about. Okay, time's up. We're gonna grab yours first. Did you write anything down? Make sure, okay, that's great. So he's got a, a picture. How'd that go? Uh, all right, so I'm gonna read. Hopefully you, you wrote down something helpful for us. <laughs> hey, they didn't volunteer, okay? Remember, uh, you're gonna hear it. Relax, that's the whole point. What song was it? Uh, oh, come on, okay, time's up. You got less time. There you go. All right, okay, here we go. Okay, so picture number well, don't show it yet, Christine. Don't show it. Okay, this is what, what, what I'm talking about. You got to experience it for yourself. Point, we're not going to do the song. We'll do the song last. So, uh, okay, we got someone that says Van Gogh Impressionist. They're trying to tell you what the picture is. A Van Gogh Impressionist. Water lilies under a bridge. Pastel serene. This picture number one, okay? Let's look at that picture. Are, are they right? They're wrong. He's wrong about Van Gogh. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Who, who painted this picture? Monet, that's right. But he's right about impressionist. How many of you saw this? Anyone see the, a picture in your head? Great. Okay, okay. So, one more. Okay, the second picture, don't show it. It's, it's in the picture. There is a serene swamp pond-like place. Seems very quiet and beautiful like a good pick or a good place. Okay, so let's look at this picture. Okay, so this is a literal picture of Giverny, the same Monet's gardens that Monet painted. Now listen to, now that you're looking at it, let's just see, in the picture there is a serene swamp-like pond-like place. Seems very quiet and beautiful. The words come along the experience. All of a sudden, when you hear that Jesus comes to bring life and peace and joy. When you experience it for yourself, the text, the words of Jesus make sense. Let's, okay, so let's listen. Uh, don't listen to the song yet, but I'm gonna play this song in a second. This is, okay, this is it. Get ready. Sounds like Coldplay mixed with Bethel, Bethel worship. <laughs> I love this. Like I'm floating on a ship in the clouds. <laughs> oh, it's so good. That's perfect. <laughs> You nailed it. Then it sounds like a holy storm. Good thunder. Okay. You ready for the song? Let's hear it. 
this song. It's so good. Are you floating on the clouds? Is this a holy storm? Yeah? Almost. Here it is. So this is an Icelandic band called Sigaros, Sigaros. It's an amazing band. I love it. Most of my sermons are written to it, actually. Um, <laughs> it's a reality to be experienced. You're only going to get it if you experience it for yourself. What happens when you experience the kingdom of God? What happens when you experience, well, I know if you wanna know what the kingdom of God looks like, look at the life of Jesus in the gospels. Sick people are healed. Those without hope are given hope. Those needing emotional healing are healed. Wholeness is given to the fractured and brokenhearted. Those spiritually oppressed are set free. The least likely kinds of people that you would never expect to be included are included and welcomed as participants. Jesus comes into the world and he shares a different story. He tells a better story than everyone else was expecting and anticipating. Jesus comes to the world and takes charge and acts like he's responsible for the world. He has a mission and task. He says, God's now in charge. Join the movement. Be a part of this story. And when people experience it in the scriptures, things are changed. One woman a morally corrupt outcast is confronted by Jesus' story and brings everything she has to him and pours out her security and future on his feet along with her tears and her story of shame, humiliation, and sin. Jesus takes one look at her and extends grace and forgiveness and says, go in peace. And for the rest of her life, we don't know what happens, but she encountered Jesus and her life was changed. Another man cloaked with a beggar's robe a hood over his eyes because he was blind, was living a story of despair and brokenness, calls out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy. I want to see. Jesus says, come to me. And with the word, the story of the beggar is finished. And a new story of hope and healing begins because he was touched by the light of the world. His narrative changed. Another man conspiring with an oppressive regime, an outcast to his own people, a thief twist with a twisted past, and a man obsessed with possessions and wealth is confronted with Jesus over a gentle meal. His response to the story of Jesus is, I will give half of my possessions away. Anyone that I've cheated, I'll give fourfold back to them. And Jesus' response is, salvation has come into your home because you too are a son of Abraham. Anytime someone is confronted with the reality of the kingdom of God, Jesus gives them a better story. The, the, the blind are given sight. He heals the sick. He sets captives free. He cleanses diseases. He welcomes in the outsiders. He forgives sins. He touches the lepers. He raises the dead. He brings peace and wholeness. He releases his spirit. And from this point forward, you now have heard what the good news is. What are you gonna do? How will you experience this risen, loving, gracious God who longs to be in relationship with you? So when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about his message, this is the message we're talking about. We're talking about a new way of existence. We're talking about the real good news, which is better than that good news. God's way of life is available here once and for all for everyone everywhere. There's another way to live. That's the story of God. Or let me just finish by putting it this way. When Jesus prays, he says, pray like this. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The assumption then is this. There are places in your life, in our city, in our community, around the world where God's kingdom and will are not a reality experienced. So when Jesus prays, he says, pray that God's way of existence is there. It's with the homeless. It's in your home. It's in your relationships. It's in your identity. When you pray, you are actively praying. God's way of existence is surrounding everywhere you touch that when you walk around your streets, when you walk in your neighborhoods, you are stomping the kingdom God life into those neighborhoods because they need Jesus more than anything else. That's what next week is about. So God's desire is for you to experience all that is good and beautiful and true with him that was designed from the beginning and the assumption is this, then there are people that aren't living in right relationship with God. There are people that aren't living in right relationship with themselves. There are people that aren't living in right relationship with each other and it's not hard to see that when people don't have Jesus, they don't have the source of life. They fill their lives with meaningless and empty things. They pursue a life outside of God which leads to all sorts of despair and destruction. People aren't living at peace with themselves. People aren't living at peace with themselves. They haven't received their royal identity their belovedness from the heavenly father, their commission and authority and power that Jesus bestows, they don't realize that the Jesus insists on your greatness. Jesus insists that you have a better story. He insists that you have a part to play and so many people are living in their fractured, broken identities. They live with anxiety. They live with fear and unforgiveness. They're, they're at war with themselves. They're suffering from deep emotional wounds and hurt. They're living with identity issues that cause all sorts of dis, uh, insecurity and self-hatred and there are people that need love, self-love and hope and joy and peace and they're products of the kingdom of the world which Jesus is pushing back and it starts with your identity and so many of us are there. And so what does it mean to pray kingdom come? Well, for you to receive your identity from Jesus, the peace that he wants to give you that comes from right relationship with God, then you come with right relationship to yourself and then it goes into others and we know it's so easy to see that people are not living in right relationship with each other. We hold grudges, we struggle to be authentic, we struggle to be vulnerable, we fight, we compete, we resent, we gossip, we slander, we lie and we cheat and that's just in the church. And... Our marriages are falling apart. Our families are being fractured. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. He means in your relationships with one another to experience the life that he's promised, peace and joy and love in your relationships. That's hard work. Forgiveness, when someone has wronged you, is hard work. It's the hardest thing. And the person that you're setting free when you forgive is really yourself. When he talks about the kingdom, he's asking you the question, what would life look like if God was in charge of your life? This is where I want to end. What would your life look like if God was in charge of your life? And just go down the list, even in your head right now. What would your marriage look like if you let God be in charge of your marriage? I mean, we could get real personal and really, you can get offended real quick. What what would your finances look like if God was in charge of your finances? What would your schedule look like if God was in charge of your schedule? 
This is how practical Jesus' message gets. It begins by looking at your life and saying, God, where are you not in charge? Where are you wanting to usher in new life? Maybe over there. (laughs) In Jesus' name, come out. (laughs) I was really scared, actually. I was just trying to keep it together. (laughs) (laughs) What would it look like if God was in charge of your life? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. Space for your presence to dwell in.